We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we glorify Him as He ought to be praised and glorified. And we pray for peace and for blessings on all His noble messengers. And in particular on the last of them all, the Blessed Prophet Muhammad sallallahu ta'ala Before we proceed with today's class, uh, announcements. First of all, I would like to complete the class by the end of June, because I'd like to travel the beginning of July, inshallah, on a lecture talk. This means we have uh, 16 classes left after today. I'm going to try my best to fit everything into those 16 classes. So the last class will be at the end of June. Number two, the Imam has kindly consented that the Jamaat will stand for Salatul Isha at 7:45. The Azan will be at 7:40. So when you come to the class, make sure you have your wudu. If you need to refresh your wudu, go and wait. So from the class, we go directly into the Sunnah and then the Salat, inshallah, at 7.40. And finally, before we begin today's class, let us revise once again the ten major signs of Yawmul Qiyama. Remember the word Yawm means day. But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word day, he does not necessarily mean the day as we know the day. For example, he says in the Quran that there is a day with him which is like 50,000 years by your counting. And he says in the Quran that there is a day with him which is like one thousand years by your counting. He says in the Quran that he created the heavens and the earth in how many days? Six days. And he says in the Quran that he created the earth in two days. Obviously, these cannot be days as we know them. Because these days came into being only after the creation of the heavens and the earth. So Yawmul Qiyamah, the day of Qiyamah, is not it's a fleeting moment in time, but a day which can last for a long time. Qiyamah means the day of the great catastrophe, the great upheaval, will herald the end of the world as we know it. And then there would be the Ba'atu Ba'ad al the resurrection. The earth will now be transformed into an earth which will be different from this. And the heavens will be transformed 
into that which will be different from this. Hey, that obviously was Samawai. A new world will come into being when we are raised back to life. But before that, Ba'atu Ba'adal Maut, you have the Qiyama, Yawmul Qiyama, the day of Qiyama, which therefore can be a long period of time. And the Prophet mentioned these as the major signs of Qiyama. Obviously, these cannot take place in 24 hours. Okay? When we give these 10 major signs, I forgot to mention it, I don't know whether I mentioned it. We're not giving them in the order in which they occur. No. Because the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu did not give us these signs in the order in which they will occur. So we don't know the order in which they will occur. Number one is Dajjal, Al-Masih Dajjal, Dajjal, who will impersonate Al-Masih, the Messiah. We have one entire class devoted to an introduction to Dajjal, Inshallah, soon. The Christians call him the Antichrist. Number two, yet Jude, Jude, Yogar, and Magar. And today, we're going to get the first introduction to Gog and Magar. Number three, the return of the son of Mary. Number four, smoke, Duhar, which is the name of one of the surahs of the Quran. Number five, Dabbatul Ab, a beast of the Ab. Ab means earth, Ab means land. Ab means territory. Many times the Quran uses the word Ab in the context of the last day and it means the holy land. So this could mean a beast which would emerge out of the holy land. Number six, that the sun would rise from the west. We have not as yet attempted to explain that in this class, have we? No. Number seven, eight, and nine, three movements of the earth, three landslides, the earth opening and swallowing what is swallowed. One in the east, one in the west, and the third one in Arabia. Uh, during the question and answer period we had last week, uh, this question was answered. Was it not your question? No. Somebody asked a question and we answered about the third of these three signs, the one in Arabia. The one in the east, one in the west, and one in Arabia. We can repeat it again today. And number ten, that a fire will come out of Yemen and would drive people to their place of assembly. Hashar. That place of assembly is described by Nabi Muhammad as the plain of Arafat where they just had the Hajj. Now let us come to the subject of today's lecture having revised these ten signs, major signs. 
the Quraysh decided when everything they had tried had failed to stop Islam, they decided, well, let us send a delegation to that city to the north, which was then called the Yathrib. Now today it's called Medina. And let us ask the rabbis, because they are the ones who know about the subject of prophets and scriptures and so on. Let us ask them, how can we tell whether this man, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is indeed a prophet, like unto Abraham, alayhi salam, Moses, alayhi salam, etc. The delegation went, and in your handout you have the names of the people who went. And the rabbi said, ask him these three questions, which only a prophet can answer. Hence, these questions are such that the answers, the data that you need, is not to be found in the books of history. The data that you need for answering these questions comes down only from Allah directly in Revelation. So only a prophet can answer these questions. Ask him about the ruh. And we mentioned last time that this is a tricky question. Because the ruh is the human spirit, the human soul. But if we speak of the human self, what word would we use? Not ruh, would we use? Nafs. Nafs. And the uh, human body would be? Jism. Jism. So ask him about the ruh could be the human spirit or soul. But it could also be Jibra'il alayhi salam. On that night, Laylatul Qadr, the angels come down and the roof comes down. Over here, roof would be Jibra'il and Islam. And then the third possible answer, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created mankind from mud, from water and from mud. He said, وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِي And then I, نَفَخْتُ I breathed in, first person singular, I breathed into him of my ruh, my ruh. So a divine ruh, a human ruh, and the Holy Ghost of Ibrahim al Islam. Tricky question. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers that the question is located in Surah Bani Israel. Surah Bani Israel, which is Surah number 17, it is also known as Surah Al Isra. Two names. وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْرُوحِ Translation And they question thee 
Yani O Muhammad Aleyhisselatü in parentheses. And they question me about the rope. Kul. Say to them. Say, and in parentheses to them. Kul. Say, O Muhammad Aleyhisselatü Get them this answer. Kul. Say that the ruh is by Allah's command. That is a brief answer, you will never get that. Say that the ruh is by Allah's command, which covers all three possibilities. And we have not given you of knowledge, meaning of this subject in particular, knowledge in general. You got only a little bit of knowledge. One would have expected that the rabbis, having given the questions, would show an interest in the answers which are given. Yet very strangely, after the Hijra, and this is an event which takes place before the Hijra, after the Hijra and the Prophet arrives in Medina, there are Jews who come up to him and ask him the same question. Why? Because the answers had not been communicated to the people. The rabbis conceal the answer. The Prophet then repeated what had come down. Then the rule is by Allah's command. And of knowledge we have not given to you but a little. So they ask, when Allah says that you've been given only a little bit of knowledge, is he referring to us, the Jews, or to them, the pagan Arabs? <coughs> the Prophet replies in both. He's referring to both of you. Now here are people who believe that they have an exclusive relationship with Allah. They are the chosen people of Allah. Heaven is reserved for them. They are the elite of mankind. And for them to be bracketed with the pagan Arabs who they consider to be an illiterate people like cockroaches, and to be told that both of you are in the same boat, you don't have any real knowledge about this subject, is certainly a matter that cuts them down to size. And then came question two, asked came about the great traveler who traveled to the two ends of the earth. The answer came down. Did we mention last week about the Hitcha Allah business? We did. 
विवाह बेटी का बट बाई डिवाइन कमैंड द आंसर इज नाउ लोकेटेड इन सूरत कैफ नॉर्थ सूरत बनी इसराइल अगेन वेन रिस्पॉन्डिंग टू द क्वेश्चन अला सुधारा यूज इज एक्जैक्टली द सेम लैंग्वेज वॉज and they asked me about the rope say to them over here is and they asked me about zulqarnay qul sa'atlu alaykum min ghuzqa say to them i know tell you part of the story And so there is clearly a similarity between question one and question two, because the answers begin in the same way. But there is a difference in that the answer to question one is put in Surah <coughs> Tubani Israel, and the answer to question two is put in Surah Al Kaf. So now we have to find out what's the difference and what's the similarity. And then comes question three, asking about the young men of old disappeared in a cave. The actual text of the question is located in your your handout. The answer comes down to this question, but Allah does not say, and they question the about the young men. Say to them, no, that is not there. The answer, but the answer is located in Surah Al-Kaf. So there is a similarity between question two and question three. It does both the answers are located in Surah Al-Kaf, but there is a difference between question two and question three, and that difference is highlighted in the fact that the way that Allah answers the question is different. All right. Now let us attempt. To locate the similarities and the differences in these three questions. To locate the similarity between question one and question two, is simple. The answer is provided in direct response to the question. You want to know about the roof? Here's the roof. You want to know about Zulkarnay? Here's Zulkarnay. Therefore, what you want to really know about the third question is 
is not the same as question 1 and 2. Something different about question 3. You want to know about root? Here's the answer. You want to know about Zulkarnik? Here's the answer. What is it therefore that's different about question 3? We have to look at. Now for the difference between question 1 and question 2. To locate the difference between question 1 and question 2, we have to examine question 2, the answer given. Ask him about the great traveler who traveled to the two ends of the earth. And so the Qur'an responds and identifies the great traveler as Zulkarnain. This is not a name, it's a title. Zul means the one who possesses. Karnain means to karn. Karn can mean a horn. Karn can mean an age or an epoch. So the one who possesses two horns. When we go back in history and we try to find out if there anything in history about two horns, the first answer that comes, usually comes, is about the prophet Daniel, who had a dream connected with two horns. But is the Quran speaking of two horns here or two ages? Because Karnayim could be two ages. We have to try to answer that. So, the one who possesses two horns or the one who impacts on two ages. He is a, he is a servant of Allah, possessing faith in Allah, a believer. But Allah has bestowed upon him power power. A power to pursue whatever objective he chooses to pursue, and therefore a superpower, a ruling power. When power rests on the foundations of faith, and that power rules the world, how will power be used? Let us repeat. When power rests on the foundations of faith, faith in Allah, and that power rules the world, the ruling power, ruling state in the world, how will power be used? Zulkarnay travels in the direction of the setting of the sun, which is west, until he comes to a big expanse of water. So that's the farthest west that he can go. It's not shallow water, it's very deep water, murky water. And the Quran says that he came across a people. And Allah asks, how are you going to deal with these people? 
When power rests on the foundations of faith, how will power be used in relation to people? Zulkarnain replies when he says that those who are guilty of acts of hope, oppression, injustice, wickedness. I will punish them. And so power, power will be used to punish the oppressor. Don't forget that. Keep that stopped away. Power will be used to punish the oppressor. And when the oppressor goes back to you, you will punish him as well. So you get in it here, and you get in it there. Which means that when power rests on the foundations of faith, there will be an essential harmony between this world here and that world there. What a world that would be. Those on the other hand who have faith and whose conduct is righteous, not just faith, but faith and whose conduct is righteous, I will treat them nicely. They will be rewarded and I will treat them nicely. And so when power rests on the foundations of faith, that power is used to protect and preserve and sustain the godly and the righteous. What a world. What a world. The Quran then describes the second journey. He now travels in the direction of the rising of the sun. And there he comes across a people for whom we have not provided any other protection from the elements, any other covering than the bare covering that they had. In other words, a people living at the subsistence level. Trinidad. Trinidad has the ever-expanding phenomenon of squatters. And those who have a stake, who are stakeholders in the state, wish that these squatters could just disappear. <laughs> they like a fly in the ointment. They make us look bad. They make our experiment look like a failure. <laughs> These squatters. <laughs> huh? The Quran describes Zulkarnay coming across a people for whom we had provided nothing more than this as a covering. Sitr to cover. Sadar, the one who covers. Oh Allah. 
can't recover our sins, satar, sin recovery. So if people living a primitive way of life is also a possibility, or if people living at a subsistence level. Last year, was it uh, April we went back to the April? Yeah, I think it was April last year. We went, my wife and I went to Bangladesh. And uh, they took us on a drive from Dhaka, way down to the south of the country, the seacoast, Oxys Bazaar. And then along the seacoast, way down to the border with Burma. And when we went to Cox's Bazaar, we saw the beaches. 80 miles of beach, one long stretch. And there we found the Muslims from Burma who had been thrown out of Burma and are now refugees. Bangladesh is already poor. They have nothing to share with those who are refugees because Riba has ripped the Bangladeshi economy dry. And we saw these people living on the beaches. They don't know where tomorrow's food is going to come from. Allah feeds them the way Allah feeds the birds. And we saw these little children, seven, eight, nine years of age, becoming experts of getting from the sea their sustenance. Experts in getting the shells and the conks and the baby shrimps that they will sell for two takas or three takas or so. And they will work, collecting this, playing in the beach, playing in the waves of the sea. And I said to myself, look at that. Here the poorest of the poor. Here are those who don't know where tomorrow's food is going to come from. And what a wonderful life these people have. I never had a childhood like that. Every day you there on the seashore. Whenever you want to go and swim, you swim, you stay. A wonderful life. Allah took care of them. When you meet a people living at a subsistence level, but they are comfortable with their life, they're making do, Allah is providing for them. And you have power. Your power rests on the foundations of faith. How are you going to interact with these people? Are you going to drag them into modernity? Pick them up and put them in Goodwood Park? Gulkarni has the good sense, has the wisdom, has the compassion to leave them as they were, not to disturb them. Now that is wisdom, not to disturb them. The good sense, the wisdom, and the compassion to leave them as they were. Now this should have been the answer, because the rabbis had asked about only two journeys. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to give a third journey. Because he knew that the real target of the question was not journey one and journey two, 
but you only three. Huh? He now travels in a third direction, which is neither east nor west. And we will eventually eliminate sound as well when we take up the subject in detail, not today. So the only thing that remains now is north, the northern direction. He travels in a third direction, and there he comes across the people. Whose language could not be understood. For a man who travels with his army across the then known world, to come across a people whose language was not known would indicate that here are people who have lived isolated from the rest of mankind. Isolated from the rest of mankind. Now that is absolutely, crucially important information. The people who have lived hitherto isolated from the rest of mankind. There have never been any interaction with the rest of mankind, like for example, trade, business and trade, traveling for trade. These are people who have never walked on the stage of history. Who are these people? When they were eventually able to communicate, pick up some of the language. These people now address Zulkarnain, who is the superpower in the world. And they say to him, O Zulkarnain, surely God and Magad are perpetrating facade. In, in, in the earth, which means in our territory. Facade means corruption, oppression. Oh, wait a minute now. In answering question two, The Quran goes beyond the first journey and the second journey to speak of a third journey. Because the real target of the question is not answered in the first journey or the second journey. In answering the question, the Quran, in going to the third journey, now speaks about God and Magad. Ask him these three questions which only a prophet can answer. Meaning, this is information which comes only from Allah. You can't find it in textbooks, in history books. So now we know. The real target of question two is God and Makar. The real target of question one was very apparent and plain and clear, the root. Although it was tricky, it was a direct question. 
a direct question and a direct answer. But question two is different. The real target of question two is concealed. Allah brings it out by going beyond the two journeys to give you the third journey. And the real target is one of the major signs of Kiyama. Now it makes sense. Only a prophet would know about it. Zulkarnin is asked, can you help us? We are prepared to pay you. Can you build a barrier to protect us from Gog and Magog? Yajuj and Manjuj. I gave a lecture on this subject, must have been in Melbourne or in Brisbane in Australia, and after the lecture was over, this man came up to me, probably a university professor or something, and he asked me, don't you have, don't you have time to speak on other subjects? Can't you direct your attention to other subjects which are to be found in the Quran that you should be talking about God and Magad? Why don't you deal with subjects in the Quran? The man did not know <laughs> that Gog and Magog is located in the Quran. But this is not surprising. Because if you take a survey, you'd find the probably 99 out of every 100 Muslims know absolutely know nothing about the subject. Now, if this is one of the major signs of the, of the last day, and if this subject is dealt with in the Quran, would you not feel suspicious? Somebody is at work brainwashing us, directing our attention to here, there, and everywhere, so that we are no longer capable of directing our attention to the subjects that really matter in order to understand. So I had to, I had to respond to this pathetic situation to point out to this man as gently as I could, brother, the subject is in the Quran. Can you help us? We prepared to pay. Can you build the barrier to protect us from Gog and Magog? The Prophet said, and we will be giving you a handout with all of these ahadiths, inshallah, eventually. Yajud is an ummah of Banu Adam. Yajud is an ummah. An ummah means a community of human beings. So they're not some strange creatures with a dozen airs and two dozen noses. They're human beings like you and I. Ma'jud is an ummah of Banu Adam. Ya'juj and Ma'juj, the one who is an expert in Arabic grammar, and I am not an expert in Arabic grammar, would see a kind of a complementarity in the two words. One, the active tense, and the other, the passive tense. Ya'juj and Ma'juj. But Ya'juj and Ma'juj commit fasad 
they have PhDs in corrupting everything. And there is a hadith in Sahih Muslim in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks is the hadith of Qudsi. And he says about Ya'jud and Ma'jud, I have created creatures of mine so powerful that none but I can destroy them. And so here are the counterpart in terms of power to Zulkarnay. The opposite to Zulkarnay. Over here power rests on the foundations of faith. Power is used to punish the oppressor. And this establishes harmony between the world here and the world there. And power is used to protect and preserve and sustain the godly and the righteous. The reward. Over here on the other hand, power, similar to that power, superpower, ruling power, rests on foundations which are corrupt. Why should Zulkarnain build a barrier to protect them? Why can't Zulkarnain just go and beat the living daylight out of them, teach them a lesson? And if they can't learn, then enslave them. Maybe Zulkarnain will say to them, Oh, I don't need to build any barrier, I'll just go in there and give them the lesson of their life, and they'll never bother you again. But Zulkarnain accepts their request. First of all, he says, like Suleiman alayhi salam said to Bilqis, I don't need your money. What Allah has given to me is far more precious. <laughs> the servant of Allah is not the same, you can't buy him. Zulkarnain says, bring me, help me with manpower. Bring me blocks of iron. Zubarul Now we're going to go through the text, inshallah, in the succeeding lectures. Today we're only giving you an overview. Bring me blocks of iron. Zubarul And he builds this barrier with blocks of iron. Hadid, Hadid, Hadid. There's a surah of the Qur'an named Surah Al-Hadid. Huh? And Mawlana Fadur Rahman Ansari points out in his book, The Quranic Foundation of the Structure of Muslim Society, it's a footnote, that the surah says, وَأَنزَلْنَا الْحَدِيدِ And we sent down hadid, iron and steel. فِيهِ بَأْسٌ شَدِيدٌ in iron and steel is mighty power but mighty power for war making but also it can be used for beneficial dual purpose to build bridges with iron and steel big bridges 
ความขึ้นในรัฐอยู่ทะเบียนนะพอละละพอยต์สาว The Great Allah says that we set down higher. The implication could be that this metal did not form part of the original constitution of the earth. That the source of this metal is extraterrestrial, like a meteorite. It is. You find it in modern Arabic book in a footnote. So this metal hadith is used, and he builds the barrier. When the barrier was built, he now told them to blow with your bellows, build a fire, or smelting, and now copper is made into molten copper in this furnace. And then he poured the molten copper on the barrier. The engineers say that if you put the molten copper on the barrier, it will prevent rust. Not my feel, metallurgy. When the barrier was built, now yeah, Jews and not Jews could neither penetrate nor could they scale the barrier. Zulkarnain then said, "Hada rahmatu min Rabbi." This barrier is Rahma for my Rabb. Rahma means an act of kindness. فَإِذَا جَاءَ وَعَدُ رَبِّي But when that time comes of which my Lord has warned, جَعَلَهُ دَكَّ Allah is going to bring down this barrier. When Allah brings down the barrier, then of course Gog and Magog are going to be released. When Gog and Magog are released, then the last day has commenced. Yawmul Qiyamah has commenced. When Yawmul Qiyamah commences, the historical process is going to change. Your tools of analysis must now change. Because the movement of history is going to be different. We had a teacher, a great teacher, who taught us at the Alimia Institute of Islamic Studies. Malan Ansari was the best man, Dr. Burhan Ahmad Farooqi, and that man taught us the subject of the philosophy of history. When I use the term about the movement of history, because this was taught to us as students at that institute, the tools of analysis. With which you will now monitor the movement of history. Now change. When once the barrier comes down and Yawmul Qiyamah commences, with this the answer has ended. Now comes. Question three. There is a similarity between question two and question three. The similarity is that both the answers are located in Surah Al-Kaf, but there is a difference between question three and question one, as with question two and question one, meaning 
that the actual target of the question is not in the question, it's outside. So the young man who fled in the cave, but the rabbis want to get something beyond that. In question two, Allah gave them what they wanted. They wanted to know whether Nabi Muhammad knew about Dr. Magar. Allah gave them the answer directly. What it is they want to know in question three? Only a prophet can answer. Kippan wrote in his rise and fall of the Roman Empire of the story. Many historians have written about this story. The young man who fled in the cave. But it is a matter about which only a prophet can answer. So very clearly, lurking behind the question is something else. What can that be? Our response is, it may certainly be something located here. Because question two, this was hidden in the question. What is it therefore that is hidden in question three? The answer is given by Nabi Muhammad when he said, recite the first ten ayat of Surah Al-Kahf for protection from the fitna of Dajjal. And the first ten ayat, which will be the subject of one class completely, inshallah, the first ten ayat take you to the beginning of the story of the young man in the cave. And so we have come to the conclusion, using the logic that we've used, that the real target of question three was the job. Yes, Allah answers the question. These are young men who have faith in Allah. Many of the commentators say that they were Christians. If you go in the books of Tafsir, you will find many of the commentators saying that these were Christian young men. But there's a problem about that. They are living in a world which is waging war on Islam. The world wants them to give up the worship in Allah of one God and to embrace shirk. And these are young men who are not prepared to give up their faith. They are prepared to resist all efforts to take away Islam from them. All. When that godless world of oppression which was waging war on Islam left no door open for these young men to live as Muslims, rather than compromise, rather than say, well, listen, well, we've had to cut some corners now, to live. 
They left the world. They gave up the world. And they fled. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes their fleeing. They stopped in a cave. This may have been only a temporary halt. And after resting for a while, they proceed onward. But when they rested in the cave, they prayed to Allah. Rabbana atina min ladunka rahmat wa hayyit lana min amrina rahala. Allah, kindly help us in our predicament. Kindly have mercy on us. And Allah responded and allowed them to sleep. In a subsequent class, we're going to deal with this in detail. And they slept for 300 years, the solar calendar, 309 lunar calendar. The Quran pointing out the use of both calendars, solar and lunar. And then Allah caused them to wake up. Why did He cause them to sleep for so long? The reason why we put them to sleep for so long and then woke them up was so that we would know whether they knew anything about time. The time is an awesomely important subject. If you want to understand the last day, you have to understand time. To see which one of these groups of young men would understand, would know how long were they there. They were hungry. They sent someone to buy some food. But notice these young men. And whenever I come to this, I always remember Morana Siddiqatman Nasir. He said, go with these coins, these silver coins, go down in the village out there and go and search for that food which is as the purest food. So anytime I go into the supermarkets, you know what I mean. He examining every table, minutely. Minute examination of every label to ensure that whatever he buys is halal. Hmm? That's Mulana Siddiqa when he went down to buy the food, he then found to his great joy that the godless world was in the garbage bin. Yeah. And a new world had come. The sunshine had come and the dark night had ended. And those who now control the world were people who had faith in Allah. And they then decided, when they learned about this story, to build a monument. To preserve the memory of this event, that monument was built with the Muslim. Here's the story. But having given the answer, Allah goes on to give extra, extra. The rabbis never ask about the dog. No, they never talk about the dog. Allah went on to tell more about the story, extra, layer. Then they took a dog with them. And he, he, told, he spoke about where the dog was lying down, at the entrance of the cave. 
and he described how the dog was lying down with his four paws stretched out in front of him. So, Allah is responding to the question that they asked. They can't say they didn't get the answer. He gave them a lie-up when he answered them. So they cannot complain they didn't get the answer. But they know that the real target of the question was something else. And he does not respond by identifying the real target of the question. He keeps them guessing. And so you will not find the word Dajjal anywhere in the Quran. But in this class you will see how Dajjal is described in Surah This then is our class for today. We have, we have analyzed the three questions and shown the similarities and the differences and we've been able to identify the real targets of the question. After the Salat, inshallah, if you have any questions, we'll try to address them. Rabbana faqabbal minna inna ka'inta samirali wa jama'alayna ya'muna anna inna ka'inta tawwa'u rahimu wa rahmatika.